0: You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Thursday, January 11th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, (laughs) I'm your coughing host, Seth Dunn. Let me give you two apologies for the audio quality. Number one, I'm in my truck and this thing's a 2003, all the windows aren't real tight and it's gonna be loud. When I was driving to work this morning, it was just loud. It's like, it's one of these old cars where the door doesn't shut all the way, it just doesn't. And it's it's exceptionally windy here today. That's the first audio. Uh, problem, or audio quality. The second is I don't have my wired headset. I brought it in from the house the other day because I was planning on doing another sermon review, and I never... First of all, I didn't do the sermon review. Second of all, I didn't carry it back out here to this truck, so I just don't have it, and I had to borrow my Bluetooth wireless headset from work, and I have found that the Bluetooth headset doesn't do as good of a job on the podcast. I don't know why. I talk on it all day on Microsoft Teams, but just in the car, it's not as good. So let me apologize about that. Today, I have a full show because in the 11th hour, after I had already made the show notes, Terry from California came, came through with a question, and it's about, uh, I guess you could call it about discipleship. Methodology, (coughs) discipleship methodology. Today's show title, if I make it that far after talking about the question in the Bible chapter review, is Small Town Satellites, Small Town Satellites. And the Bible chapter review is Matthew chapter 27 verses 6 through 10. We're going to finish talking about the fate of Judas and his money as soon as I get in the left lane. And if you're wondering why I'm on the freeway already, I had to stop to get gas. And I have a basketball game to coach at 7. It's 5.30, so I feel like I'm behind already. Hopefully, I won't run into as many siren police car ambulance delays as I did yesterday. I'm... Trying to take my focus away from the basketball game and, and focused for, for 45, 50 minutes here on the Christian community. Here we go, Matthew chapter 27, verses 6 through 10. Judas has just come in and said that he, he sinned against innocent blood. He's thrown the money back into the temple. and He's trying to give it back to the priests. The priests have just ignored him, so it's none of our business. He went away and hung himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, and we'll get to this, refer to Zechariah 11 here. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them the potter's field as the Lord directed. And that is a reference to Zechariah 11. And Matthew is saying that what Judas did with this money and what the priest did after they got it with the money is the fulfillment of Zechariah 11. Even though the text says Jeremiah 11, we'll get to that in a minute. What's going on here? The priests know that this is blood money too. Judas knows this blood money. He doesn't want it. He feels remorse for betraying innocent blood. So he goes to the priest to try to make it right, and he can't. And they don't want to listen to him. And he throws the money back out. him. He doesn't like hand it over, like tosses it down, right? And they don't want to put this money in the temple treasury because they feel like the money is tainted too. It's like blood diamond money. We talk about blood diamonds in the modern times. People buy blood diamonds. They don't want that blood diamond money. But it's blood money. It's money that, that was paid to Judas to set somebody up, to put them on trial for death. So they said, we're not going to put this in the temple treasury because, remember, the temple is supposed to be holy. These are are horrible people. They have more concern with is it okay to put the money in the treasury or not than they did, number one, with Jesus being the Messiah, and number two, with Judas being repentant and saying we've done something wrong here. So what do they do with the money? They buy a field to bury the indigent. So the case is then as the case is now, You've got to buy your own grave and back then travelers to the city may come and die and they don't know who they are. They're especially indigent because we don't even know who these people are. We got a dead body on our hands. We don't have any relatives. We don't know where we should take the body, you know, where his family is. We got to bury him somewhere. He. Have, he may even own a burial plot wherever he's from, but we don't know where he is, where he's from. we got to have a place to put this body. We're not just going to chuck it in the dump because we're going to have respect for the bodies because they're going to be resurrected one day. Uh, so they bought the potter's field and that's where they're going to bury uh, travelers. Or strangers, I should say. That's where they're going to bury strangers. They buy, they, they buy a place to bury strangers or the indigent, and to this day, what would that day have been? It would have been when Matthew is writing in the mid to late first century, the people would still know the story of how this field was bought by the blood money that Judas gave back after he betrayed Jesus, and they called it the field of blood. Now, going further, Matthew identifies a prophecy which this fulfills. And all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there's a theme here, the fulfillment of prophecy. We've seen him referring to the Old Testament and saying, these are fulfilled prophecies. This was fulfilled by the prophet, fulfilled by the prophet. even going back to the beginning when Jesus has to flee to Egypt because King Herod's trying to kill all the boys two years old and younger. And then he leaves Egypt to live in Nazareth. And Matthew says, out of Egypt I called my son. A reference to that. So the text here, if you read in your Bible, the text says this is to fulfill what was written by the prophet Jeremiah. But then if you click on your, your footnote to say, Where do I go find this in the Old Testament? It's not from Jeremiah, it's from Zechariah. The reference is Zechariah 11. And you can go read it if you want to. Pause, unpause. So. What's going on here? Why does the text say Jeremiah but very, but very clearly uh, refer to Zechariah? There are a couple of explanations. Here. Well and I'll, I'll give you those explanations, but let's be clear, we know the biblical text that Matthew is referring to because he gives it to us and that's the text that matches up to the 30 pieces of silver. So why do our Bibles have Jeremiah instead of Zechariah? Two pretty good explanations for why this might have happened. I think the first is this: in Greek, the letters, or the, sorry, the word, the name, as it's written for Zechariah and Jeremiah, is very similar. It's just a couple of characters different. Okay. So if you have a copyist, because we don't have the original copy of Matthew, if you have copyists, and scribes over the years. It could, it could have been that early, in an early manuscript copy of this, the, copy, the copyist just copied it wrong and wrote Jeremiah instead of Zechariah. It could be as simple as that. Somebody wrote the wrong letter. Or it could be that the guy wrote the right letter and that the reason Matthew said Jeremiah is because in the the. Jewish Old Testament or the Jewish Bible they had at the time, the section of the prophets started with Jeremiah. You can Google this yourself if you want to. And you you know how people would say Moses and the prophets? And when they say Moses, they're referring to the books of Moses, the Torah. So when they say the prophets, they could be saying, well, Jeremiah, because the, the, the book we have is starting with Jeremiah. That could be an explanation too. And the reason I bring that out, one, it's just kind of curious, but, but number two, we're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture here. And remember, the inerrancy of Scripture is not the inerrancy of my New American Standard Bible, or somebody's NIV, or King James, or the Society of Biblical Literature's 5th edition Greek text of the New Testament. The inerrancy is in the original autograph, what Matthew wrote, and everything he wrote would have been factually true according to theology and history or whatever. If somebody made an error copying it, that's not an inerrancy in the scripture. What was originally written, that's an error in the copy. And quite frankly, we should expect errors in copies over hundreds of years. So those are the explanations for that. I I would like to understand how the King James people explain this way. I don't know know if the King James says Zechariah or Jeremiah. I might look that up. Because if the King James says Jeremiah, I'd be like, how are you guys going to explain this? And they'd probably explain it in the, in the same way I just said, that Jeremiah is just giving a general reference to the prophets. So, uh, that's the scripture for today. And take, keep in mind that the people, the original audience of Matthew, they would have known about this field. They'd be like, not only would they have they known about the scripture, they'd have known about that field. But oh, yeah, people still call it that. That's how this field got, got its name when Judas went and gave the priests this money. But I think we should pay more attention to just the callousness of the chief priests and field. All right, let's move on. Do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics? If you do, please write to Seth. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or you can dial 470-315-0875 and leave me a voice message. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Keep it short. Tell me where you're from. Alright, today's question, submission if you will, comes from Terry in california there's something going on at her church they're using a particular resource so from time to time churches will get programs from outside the church from people in business they might call it a ministry business but ministry consultants or publishers who come up with discipleship programs and then they sell them to churches or give them training one that comes to mind for me when i was a tabernacle baptist when i was a member there they brought a guy in named dennis nunn and he had a program that i think he had sold the church called every believer a witness and it was how to do evangelism training and terry has got a program she told me uh who it's from i was unfamiliar with him and i forgot or i would mentioned it her church has bought into this guy's program she's asking me, is this biblical? Is this legit? Because she doesn't know how to feel about it. So the discipleship program that she showed me, it's got a little picture. It's a circle. And there's a decision point in the circle and that's called the Kairos event. Or if you're from Tennessee, the Kairos event. But I'm pretty sure in Greek it's Kairos. So Kairos in Greek translates in English to time so whenever you're reading the New Testament and it says, Well, the time has come, or the time will come, or we're in the time. The time is now, John Cena. The time is now! That's that's Really, that's a great use of it. My time is now. That's a great use of Kairos. That's the, that's the effect. You can't see me? My time is now. I'm the franchise, y'all. My time is now. My kids, when they were younger, may have been under the impression that that song was about me, not John Cena. Um, <coughs> anyway... It can refer to a decision that's made, but it's really about a time. A time, not just any time, but a certain meaningful time. And the biblical basis for the Kairos event graph, according to these discipleship training people, is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. If you you listen to the Christian Commute, you know. Mark 1.15, we'll say it all the time. Repent, or you will, li- or you will likewise perish. Repent and believe, or you'll likewise perish. But if you want to, you can uh, pause and read Mark 1.14. So Jesus is telling people that the, they need to repent or perish, and the time to repent has come, because the kingdom of God is at hand. By the way, He's talking about the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about that specific time in the life of every Christian where they repent of their sins and make a decision to follow Christ. If we're using the terminology of decisional regeneration, which we don't want to do, but we don't. Okay. So Jesus is telling the people in Mark 1. Like, hey, remember this disaster over here? All those people perished? Well, something worse is coming. And repent, or you will likewise perish. The time has come to repent. He's saying the time of the inbreaking of the kingdom, because he's bringing the inbreaking of the kingdom. He's bringing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's bringing in a new dispensation, if you will, and it's now time to repent and come to God under the new covenant. That's what that means. It's not talking about the individual decision everybody makes since then until Jesus comes back to repent. But these people selling books, they got to say, Oh, this is based on the Bible. We'll use a Greek word. So, what is being distributed to the church through this discipleship material, it's a circle, and on the top is the Kairos event, so at the right of the circle, you've got, like, an op, it's, it's, the, it's the repent side. Like, you make an observation of what you're doing wrong, and you consider it, and then you repent. That's the first thing you do. And then on the other side of the circle, so we're going, we're going clockwise. So the circle's sort of like a clock. So you start repenting, and then you get to the other side after 6 o'clock. Well, now you're going to start believing, and this is how you act in your life. And you, So you have that decision point. Bam, I've got the Kairos decision point at noon. I guess they're at midnight. At the midnight cry, we'll be going home. At the midnight cry, midnight, you make the decision. Then clockwise, you repent and believe. So you're coming to Christ, and then you're living the discipled life. And that forms the basis of the discipleship program at Terry's church. And when I see stuff like this, I'm like, do you really need to make that the foundation or the paradigm? If you want to, do this is a great commission, if you want to disciple people, share the gospel with them. Baptize them. Then pull out the Bible and teach them what Jesus believed and taught. Just teach them God's word. You're not trying, you're there's no, there should be no focus on the Kairos moment. In other words, getting the yes. Doesn't that sound like a sales technique to you? How do we get people to yes? A always, BB, B, C, clo- C closing. A always, B B, C C closing. That's sales. Always be closing. It's attention, interest, decision, action. Getting them to say yes, closing the deal. Discipleship is not about closing the deal. You preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts sinners, they come to Christ, then they get baptized, and the church disciples them by teaching them the word and then they they repeat it. It seems to me, Terry, that somebody has gone to trouble to write a book and make this graph for the sake of writing books and making graphs. I don't want to condemn material that I've never read but this seems like overkill and kind of a waste. But that's what happens by the way when KPI or KRA driven church staff people that well, we need a discipleship program, how are we going to do it? You know, God forbid we just tell people to come in on Wednesday nights and we sit around and read the Bible and tell them what to do. We gotta have materials, we gotta have the consultants. Listen, if your church needs a consultant train people how to do evangelism and discipleship, you've already failed. Because what you're basically saying is that your church doesn't have the Holy Spirit gifted people within it, pastor, or otherwise, to do that. And then you kind of become McChurch buying stuff that every church does. Alright, I got a pause. My wife is calling me. Me? I gotta pause my recording. How do I do this? Alright, I don't know what happened. It may have been one of my kids anyway. My kids call me on Alexa. For the most inane reasons. And then I think it's my wife and I didn't answer. He's like, hey dad. I just beat a, I just a level on, on Luigi's Mansion. Okay son. Alright, so. Who knows. Let's finish the show. Thanks for riding in Terry. It's more of a comment about materials in general than a comment about your specific thing. But what happens is basically these guys, what I think they do is they make a program and then they find a Bible verse to support it. It seems like sort of like I see Jesus. So it's a K-Roast moment. K-Roast is a little more cosmic than your individual decisions. It seems like getting the yes for church. All right. Let's go to small town satellites. If I was still using uh, theme music from just various bands instead of the theme music David used me, I'd use the Georgia satellites here. I got some change in my pocket going jing a ling a ling. All right, jing ling a ling. All these small town people have got money to give and they know they're supposed to get, uh, go to church. And that's why you see small-town satellites. This is what I was thinking about. As I continue my Crosspoint sermon reviews, I'm watching the sermons. I've only done one review this week. I gotta get to them. There's 16 in the series. So, I mean, I've done five. I've got about 22 hours in front of me because it takes an hour to listen to the sermon, like to play it, and then another hour to stop and make your comments and stuff. So I got about an hour in front of, or 22 hours of work in front of me doing this and I'm almost to the edge and I'm thinking, he keeps referring to you guys in Adairsville. So with regard to Cross Point City Church in Cartersville, they, the first campus they had was in Adairsville campus and now they have a Rome campus. And with Rockbridge in Dalton That started in Dalton, and I think then they made a Calhoun campus and a Ringgold campus. I think they have a Hickson campus now, and maybe another one. And what I found when I'm looking at these coffee concert, cool guy churches that have satellites is that the home base church is in a bigger market and then what they do is they go to smaller markets for the campus. and I think the reason is because the people in the small towns they are more apt to accept preaching on a screen from somebody in the next town over because their alternative is Poduck Baptist preacher who might not be that great of a preacher. Just from a skill standpoint, you, you guys who listen to the show for a long time, you know I talk about one-story preachers and two-story preachers. There are preachers who are bad. There are preachers who are just okay. And those preachers will probably never get called to a church that has a balcony because you can't fill up two nobody two stories worth of people aren't going to fill up to hear this guy. You can call that consumeristic. You can call it whatever. That's just out, That's just reality. I went to my mother-in-law's church on New Year's. Was it, was it New Year's Day or New, New Year's Day was a Sunday or New Year's Eve. I, don't even, I think it was New Year's Eve. And uh, they finally got rid of Brad, who was just awful. I don't know if he could ever get fired. Him. I think he could. He was one of the worst preachers I've ever heard. But it was still a small town church with like this small town guy probably. Barely made $50,000, benefits and all. and You can tell, like, uh, this ain't the guy. This ain't the guy. I'm, you know, I, if I'm Alabama hiring Nick Saban's replacement, this ain't the guy. By the way, I'm so devastated. I feel like somebody died uh, because Nick Saban retired last night. Just so unexpected. But anyway, they don't want to distract from the show topic. But you know, there's a guy who's going to coach Alabama, there's a guy who's going to coach Tulip. And It dawned on me that a senior pastor type at a 1,000-plus member church in Cartersville, which is not too far from Atlanta, is going to draw 120 dollars to $150,000 for his salary. Where if you get into a senior pastor type in a Daresville, which isn't, I mean, it's sort of, it's on the freeway, but it's pretty far from Atlanta and it's pretty far from Chattanooga and cost of living is low. There's not a lot of money to be made there, so the preacher's salaries in church, due to church size and where it's located are not gonna be very high, and you're not, gonna, you're not gonna draw very slick preachers. And I think the same thing can be said of Rome, Georgia. It's pretty far off the interstate. Same could probably be said for Calhoun. In terms of Rockbridge, like Dalton, it's pretty close to Chattanooga. There's a lot of industry in Dalton. But you get further away from Chattanooga, but not close enough to Atlanta when you get to Calhoun. And you're going to get some dug preachers. So I think how the expansion works for these multi-campus churches, like a Cross Point or like a Rockbridge or a venue church in Chattanooga, I hope they've gone out of business by now after Tabner Smith's morals. F- I mean, Tavner Smith was preaching heresy for years, but he, you know, get caught with your secretary in your underwear and you're out of there. Okay. <laughs> Same for you, Mike people. Anyway, I think they see these small markets and they think, we can we can get into a small market with a relatively low investment to get the building. The people can pay for the building Because churches pay for buildings everywhere. And then we can get a campus pastor. Some hireling who can't preach and is happy to have his low salary and his title. And we can expand our footprint into these small market areas to make campuses. I think that's what they're doing. And they know people will come because the silver tongue, slick tongue preacher, the two-story preacher, is going to be piped in. And because he's not getting piped in from California or Uganda, for that matter, it feels local. You could drive there, in 30, you could drive to the main campus in 30 minutes if you wanted to, so you still feel locally like you're a part of it. And that's the model they do. They find a model to franchise and a man to franchise through piping it in. It's not enough to get the butts in the seats in the larger to mid-market towns. Because Curtisville is by no no means a large market town, neither is Dalton. It's more of a mid-market place. The kind of place that Alabama would sing about in in their small town song. Cheap Seats, I think is the name of that, that song. Maybe a little smaller than the town in cheap seats because the town in cheap seats has a triple A baseball team. So they've gotten their model going, that's how, how they're doing it. And they can't support in the small, like Roman at Ayersville, just for an example, for the cross point example, or Calhoun can't support the, the slick pastor because he wants to make 120, 130. Sorry. We can't do that. They find the hireling. So what they do is they pump the money out of the small markets back into the mid-market or the bigger market. And all they got to do is hire a hireling pastor. And then that puts the squeeze even more on the small church. Think of it like this: Think of Walmart. You know who Walmart fears more than anybody? Dollar General. Because in every little small town you go to, there's a Dollar General. They ain't got much. It's more expensive than Walmart, but it's it's some version of what you need. So the Dollar General market is a uh, uh, model is a bunch of little stores. The Walmart model is one giant store. Well, you can't put a giant store in every little town, like in Carter's where I'm from, or Bartow County, I should say. We got, we got you we got Taylorsville. You know, all these little towns, they all have a Dollar General. But there's one big Walmart in Carter'sville. So it's like Walmart says, how are, we gonna def- how are we gonna fight Dollar General? Well, we'll put a neighborhood market in the small towns. So people see these satellite campuses and they think, man, these guys are moving for God. They're expanding. No, they're not. Do you think Adairsville, Rome, Georgia, and Calhoun, Georgia, or Hickson, Tennessee, or Ringgold, Georgia, are short of churches? They're not. They're not any shorter than Cartersville and Dalton were. It's basically these campus people trying to extend their footprint. And I tell you what, if people just understood ecclesiology, that satellite campuses were unbiblical, this wouldn't happen. But it does. So, if you're one of these churches in a smaller town with a smaller footprint, you better start, you better go back in time and start t- 10 years ago. But you better start teaching ecclesiology to your people for when the satellite comes, they know I'm not going to go to the hiring campus pastor satellite place. My wife's calling me again, and with that, I'll give an abrupt end to the Christian commute and call her back. God bless. Thanks for listening. As always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.